Let me ask you a uh, question this morning. Have you ever had stress in your life? It's kind of an easy one. Uh, nope, few people saying, nope, never had stress in your life. Don't worry, we're going to pray for you as well uh, because you're lying, and we all know that. We, we kind of all chuckle. It's kind of an easy answer, right? That's the softball question uh, this morning. But the question is, it, it's not that we all face stress. The question that I have for you this morning is what causes you stress? What causes you to have stress in your life? Is it the uncertainty of the future? Is it something else? Is it wondering if there's going to be enough month left at the end of the money? Or is, is there going to be enough that you have for the future? Are there relationships that are causing you stress? Are there health circumstances that are causing you stress? Sometimes stress is put on us and it's not really something that we would choose. But sometimes the stresses that we have in life are something of our own making. They're kind of our own fault. Exhibit A, sports fans. My son and I, we, we love to watch baseball together. We're huge fans of the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, they're doing really, really well this year and we get really, really excited when they're doing well. We love it when they score 28 runs in a ball game and almost set a modern day record. Those are good games. When those games happen, everybody's hitting, pitching's going great, we're sitting back on the couch, we're relaxing, we're laughing, we're enjoying it, we're celebrating. But when things are not going well, we get a little frustrated, especially when it's the stupid ump blowing pitch calls on the team over and over again. Like, when are we going to get automated umps and get rid of these stupid, like, guys who can't have a strike zone and it's always against our guys? Why is that? <sighs> okay. Sorry. Kind of went off there on a tangent a little bit. Um, what brings you stress? Can I follow that up with a third question? As you think about the fact that you have stress and you think about what brings you stress, have you ever thought of the effect of stress? Where does it show up? If you'd like to know where it shows up, just ask those who you're closest to. Because stress has to have a release point. Everyone has a way to deal with their stress and the primary thing that happens is it affects our relationships, even with the people that we love the most. As a matter of fact, the people that love us the most are probably the fastest to realize you're under stress. They see it first, and you may not even know it. You may be carrying a burden or a load that you're like thinking you're doing okay and you're keeping it unto yourself. You've convinced yourself it's not a big deal, and someone you love comes alongside you and says, you're kind of stressed. Are you okay? And you're like, how did you see it? It's because all stress leaks, and it always affects those who are closest to us. Take stress in your families. When we have stress in our families, it often shows up that we're kind of short with people. There may be some arguments or some fights or we, we start to resort to poor communication skills because we're focusing our energy on dealing with stress or we are focusing on trying to keep that stress bottled up. 
It also shows up in other ways like fatigue, health problems, general exhaustion, confusion about how we stand in our relationships with others. We, we offend, we hurt, and it shows up in the way that we try to medicate our stress. More dependence on food and alcohol, other substances. In other words, stress puts stress on our relationships. And it doesn't matter how strong our relationships are, how close they are, when there's stress in your life, the people that love you the most are going to feel that stress. You are going to release some of that stress on them intentionally or unintentionally. They will feel it. Stress puts stress on our relationships. And if it can happen in your physical family, guess what? It can happen in your church family as well. What are some of the things that, um, where stress shows up in the family of God? Where stress shows up in a church? Maybe it's a leadership change. Maybe it's a declining attendance. Maybe it's declining finances. Or conversely, I've also seen that a financial abundance comes. And then all of a sudden there's stress. What do we do with all of this extra money? Oh, we should save it. We should put it away for a rainy day. No, we should use it. We should use it now. We should use it and strike while the iron's hot. And that can actually cause incredible stress in the family of God. Here's one. I know it hasn't happened here, but it may have happened in your church experience if you grew up in churches all your life. Have you ever seen stress come to a church family from decorating decisions? (laughs) If you haven't seen it yourself, you have heard of it. And you would have thought that The stress that comes from the color to paint the wall or the carpet or to do something on a sign or in a room was arguing about the deity of Christ, whether he was actually God in the flesh or not, that it was that serious of an issue. No, we can get stress from important issues and we can feel stress in our families, even our church families, from trivial issues as well. So how do we come together? How do we enjoy unity? How do we find harmony when we're under stressful circumstances? Well, welcome to Thrive, part three, where we are looking at a church that I think was in one of the worst possible situations that you could possibly imagine. This was a church that was being persecuted simply because they were Christians. If you missed part one, then I want to encourage you to go to our website at trinityalliancechurch.com or to hit up Apple Podcasts or Spotify and look for the name of our church, trinityalliancechurch.com, and listen to that first message because we talk about there how that church was formed. If you don't want to hear that message, you want to read it for yourself, you can find that in Acts 16. But they were under enormous persecution just because they were Christians. That doesn't happen here, but it happens all around the world. And all around the world, we have been learning the last two weeks 
that there are many people who thrive even in the middle of incredible persecution. And if they can thrive, then so can we. If they can thrive under stressful situations as bad as persecution, then you can thrive. And if their church can thrive, even when they were losing leaders, their finances, they were losing job opportunities, then this church can thrive as well. So let me repeat that just so I can be clear. No matter what circumstances you are facing in your life at this moment, there is a way to thrive as a follower of Jesus. You may be experiencing challenging circumstances that are stressful. And I'm not going to say that they aren't difficult. That's not the point of this series. I am saying that if this church in Philippi could thrive under intense persecution... And I think there's something that we can learn from them. You may be experiencing stressful circumstances. This church is experiencing stressful circumstances. But we can still have harmony together and not take that stress out on each other and thrive. So how do we do that? How does a church like ours How do you, in your circumstances, wherever you are, no matter how stressful, how do we find harmony in stressful situations? Well, if you've got a Bible, let's take a look at what they did. Let's take a look at some of the instructions that they were given in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And as you turn there, let me just tell you that what we're going to read is is Paul, the the church planter who started this church uh, in Philippi. He was no longer able to pastor them personally. He had stepped away. He was in prison. So he's no longer able to access them, but he's able to write them. He knows what's coming. And so he is really, really forceful and clear and repetitive so that they do this because he understands the destructive force that stressful circumstances like persecution, what they can do to a church, how they can break it apart, how they can fracture it, fracture that unity that we love. And so he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by, what does it say, church? Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I love what Paul does here because he uses Christian godly guilt to help you understand how important this is. Just like your your mother would do. Don't you love me? If you loved me, you would clean your room. Remember? Remember those times when you were growing up and you're like, 
man, why did you got to go there? Why did you got to make it guilty? Do you see what he's doing? If you feel any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from being a Christian, if, if you found me helpful in any way, then would you just please pay me back in this way? Would you do this? Be like-minded. And then he tells them how to do that. With unselfish humility, we are to put others' interests ahead of our own. We are to put other people's interests ahead of our own. Think about that for a moment. Think about how big that is. And think about the feelings that you get when someone tells you to think of others before yourself. I mean, we tell that to kids all the time. But are you sure that's the best way? Well, think of it this way. Think of a time when you have seen that happen in your life. When an adult has sacrificed their own interests to care for the interests of someone else. Have you ever seen that? Of course you have. If you've ever had someone sick in your family from COVID, what did you do? You automatically changed your entire schedule and the way your home operated in order to care for them. Before COVID, maybe someone had surgery. You would do everything you can to change what you're doing to make sure that while they are suffering, while they are healing, you are caring for them. And the level of sacrifice that those people make is astoundingly large and big and, and huge. And those people that have had the surgery, all those people that have recovered from COVID, they can't help but get a deeper love and appreciation for those people that have cared for them. We see that in our families when our family members sacrifice for us. When they say, you know what? You've had a stressful day, honey. Let me put dinner together. And I, not, notice I'm not saying what gender, who's doing what. I'm just saying that someone else offers to cook dinner. Don't you go, woo! Well, you know, okay, let me, yeah, absolutely. You go ahead and do that. And actually, here's my menu. And here's what I'd really like to order tonight. Or here's what I really want to do. We do that. We know how good it feels when someone puts aside their own ambitions, their own interests, and serves us. Puts our interests before their own. Let me ask you, how did that feel when that happened to you? Did it feel pretty good? Yes, no? Absolutely, it felt good. Have you ever had the opposite where someone has insisted that their interests had to come first? Don't say names. Don't share stories. Like if you want to share stories after church, then go ahead and share the stories of when someone sacrificed for you. Don't focus on the things where, where people said, no, I don't care what you want. This is what I want, and I'm going to fight to get it. Did that make the relationship better or worse? Oh, you get someone at work who says, no, these are my interests, and here's what I'm going to do, and this is what I want. Like, you know that that's hard. when they put their own interests ahead of others. We know what it's like. And here's the thing about this. I'm here to say that you do this automatically for people you love. But that's not enough. You do this automatically for the people that you love, 
But because you are a Christ follower, you can and must go further. You notice that Paul is taking this to a whole brand new extreme. Does he limit who the others are that we should be looking after their interests before our own? Does he say there are any off limits? Does he say, do these and these priorities? Look after these people first, then these people, then these people, then yourself, and then those really, like those people really out there. Does he, does he have any form of order? No, he only has two things. Other people's interests before yours. And you don't get to choose who the other people are. Well, now, that's just mean. That seems impossible it's not it's not impossible it's not easy let's be honest but it's not impossible because it's been done before you know if this was the part of the message um, uh, in any other sermon I'm just going to give a, like a little bit of a preaching tip because this is a letter I would give an example or a metaphor of this is how you see this in real life I would start to share a story or something that would re-grab your attention I mean we've been talking now for almost 20 minutes you're probably dozing off thinking oh man we need to you know what time is it and I'm thirsty and I got to get up and I got you know, all these other things a story helps us come back together and see the text in our world in real life in really really practical ways but I think Paul does that in the next few verses, and I'm not even going to try to trump it. I'm not going to try to beat it. I'm not going to try and, and overcome this because I think this example of what Paul says next is the perfect example of you can do this even though it is hard. It is not impossible because someone else has already done it. Look at what he says in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, no limits on the one another's, everyone, have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. You have an example of someone who was willing to lay down his life for the enemies of God, who God had every right to say, you have no rights at all because you have defied me, the rightful King and Lord of the universe. And we have all done that. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of that standard and the glory of God, right? And yet Scripture goes on to tell us in Romans 5 that God demonstrates His great love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were His enemies, He died for us. He is our greatest example. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but if I do that, then who's going to take care of me? If I do that, people are going to walk all over me. I'm going to offer myself and people are going to take more and more and more and more. And besides, that's Jesus. He's the savior of the world. I can't save computer files sometimes. Are you asking me to do that on the same level as him? 
No, he says, have the same attitude. That other people's interests matter before your own. That you are here as a servant like he is. Because what's done for God is rewarded by God. Look at what he says in verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, exalted Jesus, to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God's going to take care of the reward and God's going to take care of you to do the work in you as you say, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can have the attitude of Jesus. Will you help me? He loves to do this. As a matter of fact, Paul seems to suggest that this is the difference between a Christ follower and someone who doesn't follow Jesus is the level of sacrifice that they will have not just for the people that they love. Anyone can do that. But for the people they don't. And for the people they have every right to separate themselves from. That it's Christians who say, you have offended me deeply and I love you and I will put your interests ahead of my own regardless of what you have done for me. That level of sacrifice. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We get this right. We enjoy harmony. No division. Unity. You can enjoy harmony. Our church can enjoy harmony by unselfishly putting other, others' interests above our own. That's all well and good, I know, but um, what if you don't feel like it? What do you do with the feelings? I mean, I said just pray about it. Does God get rid of those feelings? No. Sometimes it is really, really, really hard to sacrifice for the people who don't deserve it. Right? Like, can we just be honest? I mean, this is church. Honesty is kind of a good place. It is hard to um, continue to love people who refuse. Well, who've kind of earned the right to be shunned. <laughs> to be removed from our lives. So even when we don't feel like it, how do we put this into practice? How can we begin to address this feeling of, but, but this is what they did and it hurts so much. How do we begin to address that? We need to see something else is at stake. This is how we take steps even when we don't feel like it. Take a look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ 
that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Not only can you, not only can our church enjoy harmony by unselfishly putting others, people's, and other people's interests ahead of our own, you can, our church can enjoy harmony when we remember that we are being watched. The world is watching. And that's not just a negative thing. Like when we say, you are being watched, we automatically take out our phones and we want to say, ask the app to not track. We want to close the curtains. We want to, you know, get, get low. We don't want other people to know. We don't want other people how we live. I think this is a positive opportunity. You know, my, my mentor, Kent Edwards, was talking about this passage and he was talking about, what does it mean to shine like stars? Well, you get out of the city, you get out of Rochester, and you get into the country, and when you look up in the sky, it's just bright lights everywhere. If those weren't there, you just see the blackness of the sky, right? And so what's happening here is it's a, it's a metaphor for us to see that stressful times usually result in at least animosity and most of the time rejection. And the way my mentor said it was, uh, that's why in U.S. history, when downturns in the economy put stress on the population, the president typically loses the next election. Because when life is difficult, we criticize those in charge, we criticize and reject the president, we vote him out of office. But when the world sees God's people doing differently, when stressors come and they handle that stress differently when they don't see God's people turning on each other but doing everything without grumbling or complaining our distinctive response that only a community of faith can have will be an evangelistic witness that leads people to Christ it becomes a story that's irresistible because the stresses of life don't break that church. They bring them together. And they're responding in a way that is impossible to give and give and give unless it's a group of people who realize that God's going to honor them with their sacrifice and that God's going to transform them through their sacrifice, that this is the way that they live out their Christian lives, is the level of sacrifice that they have for those who deserve it, and especially those who don't. That kind of sacrificial love changes people's perspective on God. I remember at uh, my, my dad's uh, funeral when he passed away, we were um, listening to the stories that often get told uh, at funerals, right? You know, people kind of tell the stories. This is how this person's affected my life. This is, you know, this is the way that they touched me and changed me and made an impact on me. We often don't know those stories until the funeral. I was shocked to hear some of the stories about my dad who would, you know, care for other truckers. He was a truck driver and he cared for them. He loved them deeply and they, they were just so thrilled that when they knew that my dad was helping them that they were in good hands. I was like, that's amazing. I had no idea about that, about my dad. And the thing about the Christian church is that we're not waiting for a funeral to let those stories be shown. 
The thing about this church that's so amazing is that when people hurt, whether they deserve it or not, this church rallies around them and loves them. And imagine we took that further. Imagine that went out to people who didn't know us at all, who looked at us and said, okay, you have the most stress that I've ever seen in life. You have incredible difficult circumstances and yet you're not breaking. You're not complaining. You're not grumbling. You are still serving. I want that. You shine like stars. So, I know that's hard. I know what Paul is asking. But I think a good opportunity is to also think what's the opposite. What's the opposite of shining like stars? kind of a witness do you want? How do you want to look when God's looking at you? How do you want to look as people know that you are a Christian and they are gauging their response of how much your faith has made a difference in your life and in the life of your church and in the life of your family? And if you think, you know what, it doesn't matter how I respond, I can just do whatever I want... The witness that you unfortunately give is still a witness, it's just a bad one. And it's one that says, you know what, as a Christian you're no different than I am. You're probably worse. So why on earth would I want your Jesus at all? No, remember that the world is watching. And this is an opportunity. It's not just a negative thing, it's not just a warning, it is a positive opportunity. And that's how we enjoy harmony in stressful times. When we remember that the world is watching. So church, let's show people what we're made of. Let's show people the Savior that has changed us. Let's show people that we know a God that if he raised Jesus from the dead for his faithful sacrifice, setting aside his own agenda for other people's interests, what they needed, then we can do the same. As we close, um, just want to let you know that um, uh, there's some things I would recommend that you do this afternoon. It's hot, so don't go outside. Don't turn on electronics. Get someone else to cook. You can argue about who that is with your family. Um, let let you practice serving one another and putting other people's interests ahead of your own, right? Um, and uh, at the end of the service, we're going to close with our song, but then we have a special announcement. So if you are uh, watching online, don't click off just as the sermon winds down. You want to hear uh, our important announcements, exciting stuff. Um, but let me ask you to, to do two things this afternoon. The first is to think about who has humbly sacrificed for you. Who has sacrificed for you? Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone in your church family. What if you were to take some time and to write them a note this afternoon and stick it in the mailbox? What if you were to take the time to send them a text or an email saying, hey, listen, you did this for me a long time ago or I, I notice you sacrificing in this way, putting other people's interests ahead of your own and I just say, I want to appreciate that. That's meant a lot to me. Thank you. What an encouragement it would be for them to go further, faster in their faith, right? And secondly, 
as you thank God for them, take some time today and answer the question, who is God calling you to humbly sacrifice for? Is it someone you love deeply and you find it easy? That's good. Thank God for that opportunity. But maybe it's someone that isn't. Someone that comes to mind and you think, God, can I get a second opinion? There's got to be someone else I can humbly sacrifice for. Like, can someone else humbly sacrifice for them? No, they came to your mind. If that person comes to your mind, what is it that you can do to put their interests above your own so that you shine like stars even maybe when they don't deserve it? And let's ask God to help us follow Christ's example. Let's remember that selfishness separates, but selflessness shines. Let's pray. Father, we are so um, overhumbled because it is hard to sacrifice in our individualistic, selfish culture. people that we love, we love to put their interests first. We love to help, but there are people that we find hard to love, people who have made it hard to love them. And yet, your word makes no distinction on how we love others, on who qualifies and who don't, and who, who is unqualified. And so, Lord, would you help us to have the harmony we need in stressful times in our lives, in our families, and in our church family that we would put other, interest, other people's interests before our own and that we would remember that the world is watching so that we shine like stars and help more people see Jesus more than they see us. Would you help us to remember that selflessness shines for you? Give us strength, comfort, and the courage to say yes to putting other people's interests before ours, even no matter what we're facing. Help us to do that, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.